Welcome to a Tuesday edition coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot to get into today. The return of Yannick Hansen as well here on the People Show. That's coming up in the second half of the show. Dom, Ben running the show. I'm Bick Nazar. You can always text in as well, 650-650, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. I am a man of my word. I said if the 49ers win... I will start the show uh, and make an apology to Brock Purdy. I, I'm nothing if not accountable. We, we, we talk about accountability on the show all the time. Uh, so here we go. Oh, man, this going to be brutal. Mr. Relevant. Let's, let's drop the IR off of his name. Uh, seventh round pick, 262nd overall in last year's draft. Uh, some people got to start putting some respect on your name. Myself included. My apologies to 49ers fans. My apologies to the Purdy family. My apologies to John Lynch for, for having faith in this guy. My apologies to Kyle Shanahan for, for trotting him out every single time. I don't know if I'm a believer, but I'll shut up about it. Finally, I'll shut up about it. Look, you still got to go out and get yards. You still got to go execute in that offense, and he's doing it. He's 10-0. I'll, I'll finally shut up about it. I, I, I'm i not convinced he's good, and I'm not convinced he's going to be the long-term QB there, but I said on these airwaves, Sam Darnold's going to get more passing touchdowns because Brock Purdy's going to get benched at some point. That's not going to happen. You're 10-0. You're, you're apparently unstoppable. My apologies to Brock Purdy. Uh, might be the coolest thing since sliced bread. Uh, how, how long does the apology need to go? I, I'm getting the signal to keep going. Mark Schofield's not ready just yet. Oh, my goodness. The apologies are just, just they, they eat me up inside. But nevertheless, uh, we're, we're here for accountability. A fantastic win. And look, I, I reserve the right to bring this all back if Kyle Shanahan moves off Brock Purdy. Now he's got proof of concept. He's like, hey, I can win with anyone. I can win with the last pick of the of the draft. Is Kyle Shanahan ready to risk wins when they get to a stage when they have to negotiate uh, a contract for Brock Purdy. But up until that point, I will shut up about Brock Purdy. 49ers, uh, I'll do the spoiler alert now. We'll do Bick's best in the power rankings later on. 49ers number one. Spoiler alert. I said I guaranteed they would be number one if Brock Purdy showed up well enough. Will you throw a hat trick, a touchdown to George Kittle? Uh, congratulations. Uh, I'm done talking. I'm done talking slander about Brock Purdy. I'll find my moments to praise him, but I won't go out of my way to uh, take a cheap shot or, or take any shots at Brock Purdy. He's winning. 49ers, best team in the NFL right now. My apologies to Brock Purdy. My most humble hat in hand apology to Brock Purdy. Let's get to our good friend Mark Schofield from SB Nation. We talked to him on Tuesdays here on the People's Show. Uh, QB analyst, NFL writer for SB Nation. Uh, Mark, I've been uh, saying my apologies to uh, Brock Purdy here. I, I'm I'm not uh, a Purdy stan. I'm just a uh, Purdy indifferent now. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Indifference is fair. I think it's been fascinating to watch Purdy sort of over, you know, obviously what happened last year and then, you know, this year – I was kind of, I got to say, I was impressed with what he did in week one. 
And I know we talked about that, some mm-hmm. of what the Steelers did to try to confuse him. I thought he had some answers for those looks that maybe we weren't going to expect from him. And then obviously Sunday night, I think for many people was perhaps the Purdy breakout game in a sense, because there were throws, reads, decisions, plays that he made in that game that were beyond just the Kyle Shanahan is making life so easy for him sort of theme, right? That's been the theme with Purdy is that Shanahan's offense and all the weapons they have around him has made life so easy for him. He's a NPC player at quarterback. He's a paint by numbers quarterback, whatever sort of phrase you want to use to describe him. That's what he's been. He showed a lot more than that, I think on Sunday night. And so it's been impressive to watch. And it's also important to remember he's still sort of technically in his rookie season, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of starts and number of starts, he's still within that sort of initial 16 game slate. So it's been impressive to watch. You know, we're going to talk about throw of the week in a second, and I'll give you a little spoiler. It comes from Brock Purdy. Oh, boy. He was very impressive on Sunday night. All right, so I, I still feel how I feel about the the individual player. I'm just not going to point out, hey, you're in Kyle Shanahan's offense and all that sort of stuff. That's essentially the the, 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 the essence of my apology, right? It's, hey, someone's got to go put up those yards, and, and someone's got to go execute it, and he's at least executing flawlessly someone else's vision. My thing is just now, if it gets to a stage where – once the contract has to get sorted out, if then because now Kyle Shanahan has proof of concept, it's I don't need a first round quarterback. So if we get to a stage where he moves off Brock Purdy, then then I reserve the right to bring this all back. But up until that stage, I'm shutting up about Brock Purdy unless we're talking about him with the throw of the week. Right. Well, I mean, we will we'll talk about that dig route, right? I mean, that's that's the throw to Ayuk that everybody sort of pointed to. It's okay. This is different. Like, this is not just he's thrown to a wide-open guy. This is anticipation, time, and rhythm, fitting it around and under the defender. That's throw of the week. It's all that sort of fun stuff. I, I think the deeper discussion, though, is, okay, he's shown that he can be Garoppolo plus. I, I think that's fair, right? He's sort of Garoppolo plus at this point. Is that going to be the ceiling, though? And at which case, then you can sort of revisit the idea of, okay, well, What's that look like when Team X gives him four years, $100 million? Is Garoppolo Plus going to look better mm-hmm. in Chicago, in New England, in you know any team in Denver, any team that might be sort of dipping their toes into the quarterback market in the next couple of years? Because at this rate, that's where this is going, right? That's where this is going. If this sort of pace continues, it's the, okay, some team's going to hand him the keys to the franchise. Will that be San Francisco? Will that be another team that outbids them? And what does it look like when he's got that to play with? Because I think Seattle fans know this well. This is what used to be the sort of path, right? Rookie quarterback, rookie contract, low round pick, build everything around them, and then by the time it's time to pay them, hope that they can get where they need to be. What does this look like without Debo, without Christian McCaffrey, without Ayuk, without Kittle? What does it look like without potentially Kyle Shanahan? I mean, I think that's going to be the deeper question that gets evolved and answered over time. But he's progressing well. And so do we can we say for certainty that when that time comes, he'll be able to live up to that? Absolutely not. There's a long way to go before that. Is he trending in that direction? After last week, I think you could say, yeah, he might be. All right, so we saw someone kind of reclaim their glory as well this week in Joe Burrow. Uh, can Bengals fans cast aside any doubt they have over that calf now that they saw what they did against Arizona? 
I, I think in some sense they can sort of take a step back and breathe a sigh of relief. You know, I'm watching that game. We're watching it Monday. He seemed a little bit more comfortable, a little more confident in that lower leg, seemed to have a bit more zip. Now, again, Burrow's not even 100%. doesn't have the best arm in the league. I think people would agree with that. But you saw a marked difference in throws 10 yards or more downfield from two weeks ago to last week. You got a bit more zip on those throws, seemed to move a little bit better in the pocket. So I think, you know, was this a get-right? game I, I don't know if i'd go that far an analogy i used earlier in the week is you got the ship afloat now like it had capsized you got the ship afloat but you're still kind of taking on water because you know they still struggle to protect them at times and this was a win against arizona which you know arizona perhaps a little bit more plucky and feisty than we thought they were going to be but still it's not what you would say is a quality win and they're going to be really tested over the next couple of weeks right because you know, obviously you look at what their schedule looks like from this point forward. You get Seattle at home, then you get your bye, but then you get Niners, Bills, Texans, Ravens on the road. Like, that's a tough full-game slate. You know, and this is why some people thought maybe they should just sit them down for these two weeks, sit them down for Arizona, sit them down for Seattle, let them take the bye, give them three-plus weeks to get ready for that stretch because as good as it was to get this win, as improved as that offense looked from two weeks ago to last week, that's all well and good. That four-game stretch coming out of your body is your season if you're Cincinnati. And you've got to somehow find a way to get three wins in those four games, and those are going to be four very tough games. Uh, we'll continue the theme of, of QBs kind of reclaiming something. And we, we don't usually talk about Thursday night football, but Justin Fields now, to me, this is two good performances. I, I know what happened the week before, but at, at least these feel like steps in the right direction. And we briefly talked about him last week, but is this another indication it feels like they're letting the reins off the offense uh, off a bit here and letting Justin Fields just play football? Yeah. It absolutely feels that way. You saw it in some of the run elements where they used them and got them involved. They saw it in some of the route concepts as well. You know, it was a lot of what they did in the passing game. We've, we've used the phrase half-field concepts, mirrored route concepts, where it's basically the same play to both sides of the field, right? You have a corner route, a route to the flat, and then a route right over the middle. It's basically, you know, the same route concept to both sides, but it really makes life simple for the quarterback. Sometimes we turn them in college, sort of a pick-a-side read. It's like, Whatever side you feel best thrown to on this play, whether it's hash mark, whether it's receiver, whether it's, you know, coverage player you're going to want to work against, just pick that side and go with it. And you saw a lot of that. You look at his spray chart from that game, a lot of throws to the left side of the field where D.J. Moore was aligned. And so a lot of it was, hey, you know, if you like this matchup, just take it. You know, strip it all down to you're in the backyard, you're in the street growing up, this is your throwing to your buddy. Like, that's what we're going to do right now. And it worked. And so these are steps forward. Again, though, it's year three. Like, you'd like to be, on that, be beyond that, right? You'd like to be sort of deeper into things. And you'd like to think that the offensive coaches and the offensive staff would have gotten them beyond this point. But it's better that they're doing it now as opposed to last year where it was like week eight, week nine, when they started doing something like this for them. So hopefully it sets them up for further progress as this season goes on. But certainly over these past two weeks, and yes, the Denver game, it's against a historically bad defense. But – Washington's defense a little bit better, especially up front. Not a good game, two good games in a row. So you like the trend now these past two weeks. Talking to Mark Schofield, as we do on Tuesdays here on the People's Show, looking at the quarterbacks uh, across the league. What do we take away from that Ravens-Steelers game, in particular with Lamar Jackson? Because I thought you know, he was fine. I know even he made a comment of you know, 
just kind of catch those passes. But separating the drops from the actual QB play, what did you like from Lamar? I mean, I liked from Lamar a lot of the stuff that we've sort of been talking about with Lamar this year and, you know, frankly, over the course of his NFL career. I mean, certainly the things that we know he can do extremely well, the athleticism, the pocket movement, the playmaking skills and things like that, those were there. But I think what you're also seeing from Lamar this year is stuff that, you know, people for whatever reason or perhaps rightly or wrongly or whatever have said that he couldn't do, you know, the, the, the smaller nuanced moves in the pocket, the progression reads, the decision-making, all of those sorts of things that people have sometimes said, oh, Lamar can't do well, or, you know, maybe there are other quarterbacks that are miles ahead of him in and things like that. I think you see that week in and week out. I mean, you look at some of the little things that he did in this game, like even his first, you know, he had a, a deep throw to Zay Flowers early in this game where they don't connect, but it's pocket movement. It's not, you know, transitioning from quarterback to athlete in the moment. It's I got to hand in there and make a throw. You see some throws later in this game where he is sort of working through reads quickly, you know, coming from one to two to three, you know, fitting the throw around the defender on a throw to Nelson Aguilar on a sort of in cut, you know, late in the first quarter. He's doing the small things from the pocket that he's been working on since his days at Louisville. And again, I continue to be very impressed with Lamar Jackson. That was a tough loss. Yes, there were some throws that probably should have been caught. And, you know, for a team that didn't have too many drops coming in, now you have seven one game, a season high. It's something you expect those receivers to work on going forward. But I think ultimately this offense is going to be good. It's going to be explosive. It's going to be as creative as we thought it was going to be. And I'm excited to see it over the next couple of weeks. I like that you mentioned that that transition from being athlete to, to passer. And I think right now in, in Indianapolis, we're kind of having that discussion with Anthony Richardson, who, who we've like – you know, fond about just through preseason and the pre-draft process. He looks fantastic. But that that ability, and I would say, you know, Lamar didn't really have to learn this. I always thought he was good at avoiding contact to begin with, but it does feel like Anthony Richardson is going to have to learn the lesson of, you know, learning when I should be trying to take the extra, you know, make the extra play and take a shot, and when I have to try to protect myself. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the toughest things for an athletic quarterback. There are a lot of hard things for athletic quarterbacks to learn because, and we've talked about this before, where, you know, you're a Lamar Jackson at Louisville, you're an Anthony Richardson at Florida, Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma or Alabama. You know, you, you're nine times out of ten, you're the best athlete on the field, mm-hmm. you're close to it. You get to the NFL, it's a bit different. Because the guys you're playing against nine times out of ten, we're also some of the best athletes on the field. Right? So you've got to – learned that, okay, that ability to sort of like Richardson's LSU touchdown run from last year, right? That, yeah, he broke like eight tackles, and some of them are probably poor tackle mm-hmm. attempts, but, you know, that's the play that when he gets drafted, every network threw up on the screen, right? Because it's something that was just different. You're not going to be able to get away with that as often as you were in the NFL. Like, you're going to pay the price sometimes. And you're right, Lamar, so good at – avoiding the big head so good at sometimes just saying you know what i'm just gonna dip out of bounds here i I could try to make a cut in the open field i could try to juke this defender but i'm just gonna give myself up here i'm gonna sacrifice the potential home run because of the risk associated with making that extra move that's something that richards is gonna have to learn the 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 downside to this is more than anything else he just needs more reps more games and to miss potentially an extended period as a result of this, 
you're going to set that development process back a little bit, which you obviously don't want to see. He's been very good. I'm extremely excited about his potential, and we've talked about that idea of proof of concept, but he's going to have to learn that there are times when you're just going to have to sacrifice the potential big play for being able to play the next now. Uh, actually, while we were talking about Purdy, we didn't talk about the other side of the field there with Dallas. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you and I had the Dak conversation after that Arizona game. And, like, I, I set him out, and I, I still feel how I do about Dak. I, I still think he's, you know, he, he he's solid. He's, he's very solid. But is there a ceiling to this offense that maybe we should start discussing that it just maybe isn't going to materialize? It feels that way. It certainly feels that way. And I say that as somebody who over the years has sort of been a – you know, maybe it was an overcorrection on my part because I didn't think highly of him coming out of college. And, you know, obviously he's had a career that exceeded my expectations. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's an overcorrection of the other door, other way. But I think that there is sort of a ceiling feel to this offense. You know, you get the feeling that unless everything's going right, they're going to struggle. We talked about red zone inefficiency, but then you see in a game like this where, you know, everything's going wrong defensively and the other team is putting up points, they don't feel right now like they can come back in that. Let me pause it right there. Feels, so is, is is this a DAC thing? Is this a coaching thing? Is this a we don't have enough juice on the offense kind of thing? Because it feels like it's three-pronged. Like it's all of the above. Yeah, okay. I feel like it's in all of the above. Like watching that offense Sunday night, re-watching that offense today, it's just like they get down and it's like they don't know what they can hand their hat on. They don't know like what they're going to throw to. They're throwing some spaghetti at the wall in terms of we're just going to try some some all slant concepts. We're going to try and again the Mike McCarthy slant flat jokes. They sort of write themselves at this point, but it just feels like you know conceptually there's nothing there that they can sort of point to and say, yeah, this is what we're going to do. When you know we have to sort of get some points in bunches. You look at some of the playmakers perhaps not getting involved as much as they like, and I know that's been sort of a discussion over the past couple of days. You know, how are you going to get C.D. Lamb more targets? How are you going to get him more involved? And, you know, certainly we also have to remember that this might be the best defense in the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the Fred Warner is creeping into the best, not just best linebacker in the game, maybe best defensive player. You see this sort of play where, you know, he's covering a shallow crosser, takes that away, and then still gets the sack. I mean, that's different. And so I do think that, you know, as we look at this Dallas-San Francisco game, we have to remember that Dallas and San Francisco, that's a bad matchup for Dallas right now. It just feels like it's a bad matchup for them. The problem is if you're Dallas, you're probably going to have to face them again if you want to, if you want to get to where you want to you know, be mm-hmm. as a team. You know, if you want to get to a Super Bowl, it's probably going to go through San Francisco, and they just look like a really bad matchup for Dak, a really bad matchup for this offense, a really bad matchup for this team. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see you – hear you say talk about like the, the way they can come back and, and and the way I would actually phrase it too is you know when I look at Philly when I look at Seattle it feels like they have bailout plays right whether it's the the yeah. brotherly shove you know Seattle they, they went with three tight ends sometimes against Detroit and they, yeah. they just found different ways to do it and I, I've just kind of been talking about like I, a couple of weeks ago I said on, on the air the Seahawks to me have the second best offense not necessarily for explosiveness it just it feels like they have a lot of solutions to problems and I just look at Dallas I was like I, I don't see where the the solution is coming yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, I love that you bring up Philly because I was actually having this discussion today on our weekly SV Nation show. J.P. Acosta talked about how, yeah, the Niners are probably the best team overall, but Philly's got maybe the best 
you know, position unit in their offensive line in the league, right? So push comes to shove. Like you said, they can turn to that play. They can just turn to the run game. They can say, look, you know, we need to put a drive together. We can lead into this offensive line. Like they've got at least one sort of trump card that they can play. What's Dallas? Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when they get down 10 nothing or they get down 14-3 or something like that, what are they going to turn to right now offensively? It doesn't seem like they have that. You know, and like you said, with Seattle, like, they can lead into the 13 personnel. They've had some success with the past couple of seasons, like throwing out a big formations, a big personnel packages. There's something that they can turn to and say, look, you know, we can do this. I don't know what that is for Dallas yet, and you need to have that. We've talked over the years about the more ways you have to win a game, the better you are as a team. But you got to at least have something to do, and it seems like Dallas is still looking for that. Mark, uh, actually, before we let you go, uh, week six, uh, the QE matchup, uh, you're uh, keeping an eye on. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting slate of games. Obviously, you know, when you look at, you know, starting, I, I don't want to say Thursday night's game. Although, I will say, Russell Wilson has been better than advertised. Like, I, I think Ooh, the story okay. there is their defense. Um, I, I think if they weren't giving up 36.2 points per game, there'd be an interesting conversation about how Russell was played this year. But look, let's, Seattle and Cincy. I mean, Geno Smith, Joe Burrow, that's going to be a fascinating game to watch. I'm, I'm Excited about that quarterback matchup. Another one I'm sort of looking forward to, believe it or not, Detroit-Tampa Bay, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield. If you would have told me back in August that this game might tell you who the third best team in the NFC is, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. I mean, maybe Detroit's already there, but not not Tampa Bay. We're actually putting together our our updated power rank as an SB Nation right now, and the team that made the biggest leap from where we had them preseason now, the fight in Baker Mayfield. And so, yeah, I'm very excited to see Ben Johnson, that Detroit offense, Jared Goff against Dave Canale, Baker Mayfield, that Tampa Bay offense. I'm really excited to see that game. Uh, well, we'll talk about some of those QBs next week. That'll be exciting. Mark, uh, you're the best, man. We'll talk soon. Talk soon, Ben. Enjoy the games this week. Schofield here on The People's Show. Every Tuesday, Yannick Hansen a couple of minutes away. Uh, before we get to Yannick, though, we will get to our – NFL Power Ranks, it is Bick's Best. All right. A couple of bye weeks finally to consider. That means uh, I couldn't move the Cleveland Browns off. They stay at number 10. Not to dig a, a lot to dig into with them. I, I wanted to maybe push the Bengals back in, but I need another week from Joe Burrow's calf before we start doing that. The Ravens slip down to 9 I like the Ravens. You cannot lose that game. Pittsburgh couldn't do anything offensively. You knew it was going to be an AFC North Rock fight. It turned out exactly like that, and they end up on the wrong side. The receivers got to catch passes. Uh, I think they'll be fine, but they slipped down to number nine. A big drop here for the Dallas Cowboys. So we're just talking about with Mark. I, I just there might be a ceiling now on this team. Coaching QB. The offense, a uh, second weapon hasn't really developed, or the second pass-catching weapon hasn't developed. I- I'm getting a little bit worried now for the Dallas Cowboys. I wanted to have them as high as two in weeks past. Uh, they're down to eight now. The Detroit Lions keep picking up steam. They're up to number seven. This is a function of the Cowboys sliding down as well, but hey, the Lions... Ca- 
keep rolling. Uh, the offense looks like it's unstoppable right now. Uh, they got an interesting matchup, as Mark mentioned, with the Buccaneers this week. Uh, they find themselves at seven. At six, the Seattle Seahawks, they're on bye by proxy. They get to move up because the Cowboys and Ravens slide down. Not much to say about the Seahawks on a bye week, but they're getting healthier as well. Let's see how they look moving forward. Now, this is where a tier gap kind of opens up. I know Seattle's at six, and we can talk about the fifth place team, but there's a gap here. The Miami Dolphins coming in at number five. Uh, look, even when they played bad against Buffalo, they still put up a decent number. Like Dallas's bad games look exceptionally bad. Miami can still put up 20 points in a bad game, but they look good again this weekend, picking up a win. They're back on track, albeit versus the Giants, but they come in at number five. This is where it starts to get a bit sketchy. Buffalo Bills, was this a travel issue? Was this a we're not up to it issue? Are we still a volatile team? Just enough seeds of doubt for me to place them at number four behind the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know if that's a good win. They keep winning, though. They keep winning. You got to keep putting them up in the ranks. They come in at number three. They just have an edge. Other teams don't. They can slow the game down to their pace and have the game go at their tempo whenever they want with that offensive line. They're automatic in short yardage. The situational football is out of control for them. They can win in all those facets. That's all, that's why they're at number three. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, e even with a win, I have a team surpassing them. I'm a little bit concerned about what's happening on the outside for that offense. If Travis Kelsey's dinged up at all and he's playing at 80%, 90%, they really need him to be at 100%, not just for the TV viewership, but also for their offense. And number one, I said they'd be here. And I'm not just putting it up here because it was part of a bet. They've earned their spot. Number one, San Francisco 49ers. Talent all over the place. And when you got a cheap QB, it really allows you to spread the wealth. And they got the wealth spread right now. And they are dominating. And Brock Purdy, hey, he's doing his job. Full credit to him. Uh, 49ers at number one. San Fran, KC, Philly, Buffalo, Miami, Seattle, Detroit, Dallas, Baltimore, and Cleveland. You're 10 after week five. Yannick Hansen coming up here on the People Show. His return to Sportsnet 650.